Women Taking the Lead, Episode 186. What if everything you dreamed was entirely possible? Okay, if everything I dreamed was entirely possible, how would I show up today? Instead of perhaps the fear and the hustle, the strive and the drive dominating me, there was this sense of, oh, I could just trust it and be and do the best work I have to offer and accept if it works, it works. If it's not, it wasn't meant to be. It's something else that's coming or a different shape that this is going to take. And it just took some of that pressure away. So for me, it's that question, what if everything you dreamed was entirely possible? Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to join the community and get the resources to support you on your leadership journey. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Your website tells a story about your business. At Zebra Love Web Solutions, Millie and her team are going to make sure your website tells the story you want your customers to hear. Connect with Millie at ZebraLoveWebSolutions.com to create the impression you want to make. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Michelle McQuaid, who is a best-selling author, workplace well-being teacher, and playful change activator. With more than a decade of senior leadership experience in large organizations around the world, she's passionate about translating cutting-edge research from positive psychology and neuroscience into practical strategies for health, happiness, and business success. She blogs for Psychology Today, Huffington Post, and Live Happy, and her work has been featured in Forbes, the Harvard Business Review, the Wall Street Journal, Boss Magazine, The Age, and more. Michelle lives to help people discover their strengths, move beyond their fears, and finally discover what it truly takes to flourish with confidence. I love that, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining me today. And that's just a little intro for everyone. So if you could, tell us a little bit more about you and your own humble beginnings. Oh, I'd love to, Jodie. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast and what it does for women and the stories that inspire them. And so I think like many of us, my uh, beginnings were not what I always imagined they would have been. Uh, and looking back, I go, God, how did I get from here to there? So um, I, I think scrappy would be the best word that captures my beginnings. Um, I uh, grew up through a, a very good government school education. And I say that tongue in cheek. It, it was a very scrappy kind of education. Um, and I came out of school, having got good marks and things like that, um, having grown up with not a lot of financial security and going, I was going to take on the world. I was going to make money. I was going to kick ass. It was all going to be my way. (laughs) And so I think that first sort of decade of my career really was a scramble where I felt like, you know, I was trying to scramble to the top all the time, get more money, bigger positions, more important roles, and that someday I'd magically arrive at the top and I'd be there and it'd be all sorted. And of course, as so many of us find, doesn't all always quite work out that way. Oh, no, it doesn't. (laughs) There's a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs. And, you know, I know you've had an adventurous beginning. I, you know, and I want to acknowledge that you're in a place right now where you've gained a lot of confidence. You're doing really well. You know, if things aren't exactly the way you want them to look yet, you're definitely headed in the right direction. But like you pointed to in that little intro for us, there were definitely some tough times. So Michelle, if you could share with us one of the stories you have about 
a playing small moment and the lessons you've learned from it? Mm. Um, so for me, the biggest playing small moment, well, and it came in a couple of stages, to be honest. I, I got to a stage where I was uh, working here in Australia, which is where I'm based for IBM, big technology company, of course, and I'd become their Australian brand and marketing uh, director. I was helping you know, bring their brand to life through uh, different employee programs that we were running, getting people to live our values. And I, you know, I really loved that role. Again, I was working for a big company. I was being paid great money. I thought, you know, this is pretty much it. But my husband uh, really wanted to go overseas again. We'd had some time in Europe, but we wanted to head over to the States. And uh, so I put my CV into uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, the big accounting and auditing firm, which is where I had worked in Europe. And so we were trying to go back and see what other roles they had. And I sat down with a gentleman called Paul at the time, who happened to be the global chairman of PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was fortunate I knew Paul because I was on the board of a not-for-profit, a charity organisation here in Australia, and he happened to also be the chairman of that. But you can imagine, right, you're calling up the global chairman of one of the world's biggest firms for a coffee and some career advice. You know, it's kind of one of those moments that makes you think hard about what you're really going to ask for. And so I went yeah. to see Paul for this coffee and we were sitting down and he said, oh, just back from New York from our global board meeting, as you do, right? And uh, he said this guy in our tax and consulting division was talking about all the brand problems he had and um, how you might, you know, how he really needed someone to come in and help him. And I think you'd be great for that role. And the first thought in my head when Paul said this was, oh, my God, how embarrassing. This man has completely overestimated my abilities. How do I get out of here as fast as possible? I should never have called this person for a coffee. What was I thinking? Because I'd never done that kind of role. I, I'd done some similar roles, but only ever from a country level like Australia or the UK, never a kind of global brand role of that size. And um, that self-doubt was so overwhelming in that moment. Now, luckily, I, the idea of like running straight out of that coffee was more embarrassing than the idea of Paul putting my CV in for this role. So I managed to sit there still in the conversation as my head, you know, filled with all those self-doubt stories that we carry. And as I sat there talking to him, I said, okay, well, you know, do you really think I'd be a good fit for that? Because I've never done anything like that. And I love that you see perhaps in me something I don't see in myself, but are you kind of overestimating what I can do? And, you know, bless him. He said, look, I, I see all these benefits that you would bring. Yes, there's some bits that you're missing, but here are some of the strengths that perhaps I see in you that you don't see in yourself. And that did calm me a little bit. But I said, you know, do you really think this team is going to give me time to skill up? Because I would need space to skill up and train. And again, he said, look, you know, the guy who's leading this team, he's a great leader. I think you should at least talk to him, see if it clicks and where it goes. And so he talked me down off the ledge enough to put my CV in and at least start the interview process. And six weeks later, we were on our way to New York. But I still remember walking through the building uh, uh, that morning in Manhattan the first day, waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder and go, this is a mistake. What are you doing here? We completely, you know, and I think I lived in that for six months and it really just wore out my energy. It brought me to a point of really struggling to get out of bed each day and drag myself into work. And so that self-doubt, even though I'd still managed to get to this role and opportunity, just wore away my joy for life, my enthusiasm for the role and left me to a place I really felt incredibly stuck and not sure what was going to happen next. Wow. And Michelle, what did you learn from that experience that, that you apply to your life today? 
So I think my biggest learning, and it's something I teach a lot to other female leaders now and in workplaces, is that our brain is a story, is a sense-making machine, and it does this by creating stories all the time about why is this happening, what will happen next. And so in that moment with Paul, as he's offering me this amazing opportunity, my brain was jumping ahead into those stories about, oh, my God, he's such a nice man. He's completely overestimated my abilities. How do I get out of here as fast as I can? And we, number one, one, often don't realise our brain is creating these stories. Number two, we often don't have any sense about how much these stories shape the way that we think, feel and act. So in and of itself, there's absolutely nothing wrong with self-doubt. We all have self-doubt for really healthy reasons. It's there to protect us and stop us making complete idiots of ourselves or getting in over our heads. But in my experience, self-doubt tends to be a little oversensitive in most of us. And so sometimes when those stories of self-doubt fire up, the way they cause us to feel, the way they make us want to act, actually causes us to get in our own way. And so what was happening for me in that conversation with Paul as we talked a bit more was just getting myself down off the ledge of self-doubt a little bit Mm -hmm. to a point where I could at least act in a way that, um, and see that perhaps there were other equally believable stories like, you know, well, maybe there are strengths in me I don't see myself. Maybe this boss would be supportive and the team would understand I was skilling up. That helped me to feel and act in ways that were more constructive and at least get my CV in and and really that point six months later where I was like the self-doubt was just wearing me out completely it was that moment of reinvesting in that and going okay well hang on here what if any of this is working and how do I take those strengths and build on it so I moved past using my inner critic so much to motivate myself and I started trying to practice a bit more self-compassion a bit more kindness talking to myself like we would any other good friend rather than beating myself up so much to just begin putting the pieces back into place and moving forward the way I really wanted to be in those moments. Yeah, and what I really appreciate about your story, Michelle, because you were in that moment where all of a sudden this this job proposal was mm-hmm. put in your lap and you're like, oh my God, how do I get out of here as soon as possible? <laughs> you know, but I can't. And so, and you know, to stay in the conversation so you weren't completely checked out, you just started asking a lot of questions. And the more information you got and what you were telling in your story too is as you were asking questions, Paul was reassuring you of what would be in place to support you and why he thought it was possible. So what I'm hearing in your story is asking questions is a great short-term tool to use to overcome self-doubt. But in the long term, because then you were back in self-doubt again six months later, in the long term, what you needed was some self-compassion. Absolutely. I think those two things work really beautifully together. And, you know, of course, I'm not unique in this. We know from the research that while guys look at a job description and they see what we all see, right? They go, yeah, I can meet 50 to 60% of that. I'll figure out the rest as I go. Generally, women don't do that. I'll figure out the rest as I go. Instead, self-doubt tends to get the best of us because our brains are wired just very slightly differently when it comes to some of these things like self-doubt and we go no no I've got to wait until I meet 100% of that criteria I need more education I need more experience and then I'll put myself up for those roles and as a result we miss out on really important opportunities and so you know one of the things I've learned through that lesson and it's become a big theme for me as I tackle different things is not holding so tightly to the outcome of what success has to look like I have to go into this job 
and conquer it and be absolutely awesome in it for this to have been successful and instead to redefine success in those stories to go, you know what, success here is the willingness to show up, to give it a shot and to learn from whatever unfolds and I can do that. I can do that in any situation, you know, show up, give it my best shot, be willing to learn and if I do that, then that fear of self-doubt isn't quite so overwhelming because I do feel more confident that I can pull that off. But you're absolutely right. The self-compassion part I think is huge for maintaining rather than just kind of fighting self-doubt down all the time or overcoming these stories of self-doubt, which, you know, for some of us are there constantly throughout the day. And again, nothing wrong with that. We have it for really good reasons, but in my my experience with women tends to get overactive in us. And so how do we try some self-compassion? And in that first story, Paul was my voice of self-compassion, God love him, (laughs) of just going, hey, what about this and this? You know, doing that for myself. And of course, it's what I would do for any of the people that I lead. I'd be that voice of self-compassion but it's often not what we offer to ourselves. No, it isn't. And Michelle, if you could, I'd love to hear another story, you know, pulled from your life, from from the pages of your life, where you had an aha moment or a wake-up call. We oftentimes experience these epiphanies, like those moments of clarity um, that leads us in the right direction. So if you could share us a time when you had a wake-up call and the steps you took that led to your success. Yeah, well, and it kind of picks up from that moment in New York, you know, six months in going, God, I can't get out of bed every day. What's wrong with me? And and there were a couple of ahas that were coming out the other side of that. Um, a big part for me in discovering those ahas, I remember very clearly sitting on our couch one night in New York after a long day, eating dinner out of the takeaway container, kind of slumped on the couch. And I was watching the John Stewart show and this professor came on from Harvard uh, called Tel Ben-Shahar. And he was on there because at that time his course had become the most popular course on campus at Harvard. It was the first time ever something was more popular than economics. And he was teaching a course called Positive Psychology. And positive psychology is simply the study of what enables us to flourish, to thrive, to overcome things like self-doubt and fear and show up as the people we're capable of being. And I remember quite literally that night sitting bolt upright on the couch all of a sudden, you know, shaken out of my stupor of going, there's a science to how we show up every day and be the best version version of ourselves. Why had nobody told me this before then? (laughs) And so it really opened this curiosity for me to start playing with what the science was learning. And I realized at that point that, you know, number one, I had reached a point, I think happens for many of us as female leaders, of mastery in the technical area I'd set out to build my career. So I climbed to the top of the career ladder. I was the global brand director for one of the world's largest firms in the area of its tax and consulting business. You know, that was as big as I thought it was ever going to get. And yet what had happened over that sort of climb up the 10 to 15 years leading up to that moment is I had built more and more mastery in branding and marketing and communications expertise in companies. And so by the time I got into that role, I wasn't learning a lot of new things. And as you touched on so beautifully before, we are wired to learn. Asking questions is one of the best things uh, we can do to help engage our brains in the ways that's most productive. So I think a lot of us as female leaders, we kind of get to that 
that 10 to 15 year mark in our careers and all that's happened is our mastery curve has flattened out. We think it kind of runs like an S curve. You start out in a new area, you have those kind of white knuckle moments, you know, the first six to 18 months in any new role going, oh my God, can I make this work? You then kind of hit that happier zone for the next few years where it's coming together, you're learning interesting things, you're getting better all the time. But often up towards the top of that eight to 15 year mark, it flattens out and we're just not learning new things anymore. So part of it for me was realizing, oh, it's nothing wrong with me. I've just adapted. I've stopped learning in quite the same ways that I was. The second aha I was sort of touching on earlier was started to figure out, okay, in the moments where my job was working, what did that look like? And how did I do more of that? How did I use my strengths? And I realized that what was lighting me up wasn't learning anymore about how I marketed or branded things. What was lighting me up was learning about how did I bring out the best in the people working for me? And so as I discovered this whole field of positive psychology, I started reading and learning more. Suddenly work got interesting again and I started to feel really confident and engaged again about, God, how could I use these ideas in little ways to help bring out the best in me as a leader, but bring out the best in my team as well. And so did this really tiny thing each morning when I got to work, spend the first 10 minutes reading and learning something new. And it started to create this little ripple throughout my day. And there was no science to the 10 minutes. It was just excuse proof. It was like, okay, nothing else. I'll find 10 minutes to fit this in and do it every day. And it just opened up some of this new way of being for me, new ways of working with my team. And on Friday afternoons, I started emailing my boss at the time in New York, the three things I'd learned this week. Now, he wasn't asking for them, but I felt like I was doing all this learning on company time. So, you know, I should show something for it. And I was trying to seed, I guess, some of these ideas with him about how we might use them in our workplace to bring out the best in people around us. Anyway, he said nothing. And nine months later, I had my performance review and I go in and he says, know those emails you keep sending me? I'm like, yep, here we go. (laughs) He said, well, you know, I've been forwarding them on to people and I keep getting these questions and ideas back from other people as well. I send it to about 70 people every week now. He said, and I've started to realize that perhaps maybe we're not making the most of your strengths in this branding role anymore. And would you like to start teaching these ideas more broadly across our business and become our kind of expert in this space? And it was such another important aha in this lesson for me of going, the thing is when we're go to work each day and we don't give ourselves the chance to do what we do best to use our strengths those things we're good at and enjoy doing not only do we make life harder for ourselves than it needs to be but we also don't give other people a chance to realize at our best this is what we look like you know this is how you tap in to the best of me and so you know giving him the chance to see that again you know we went on we created this amazing new role for me I was able to go and do my master's in positive psychology as a result and for the next few years I played you know, with 60,000 people around the world about how did we use these ideas to bring out the best in others and it became my dream job and then eventually led to me creating my own business in this space. You know, Michelle, I love this story because I'm always encouraging people to share what interests you and what you're up to. And for you, that great aha moment of, you know, the times in your career when you were at your strongest and when you were really enjoying the work that you were doing was realizing it wasn't just the technical aspects of your job, but what was behind it. That was your true strength. And not everyone's aware of that. Mm -hmm. But then having had that realization to start sharing it with other people, that's what opened up that potential for you to, you know, change your role at work. 
and actually be able to spend more time doing what interests you and then eventually to branch out and start your own business. Absolutely. And so I teach people, you know, how do you use your strengths more at work every day? That's my day job these days, which is just joyful work to do. But the thing that amazes me, and I was no different at that time, but it still amazes me every day is, you know, often when we help people discover their strengths, and there's a great free tool if you're listening to this going, I'm not sure what my strengths are, um, go and take the uh, free VIA survey. You can find it at VIA character.org takes about 10 minutes it's going to give you an idea about the how you work at your best what are your character strengths so one of my top one was curiosity and that was what sparked the reading kind of little habit each day at the top of my day but the thing that most often gets in the way of us doing more of what we do best each day is we're too busy to start and I say to people, I get it, I get the reality of the busyness that we're all contending with, but doesn't that have to be the worst reason in the world not to lead the way you're capable of leading because you're too busy to start doing more of what you do best each day? And so for me, this, this was a big aha and I you know, still do it every day. It's a um, really key part for me to just be in that space of joy. I think that's the other thing I learned is that while, yes, there's a bit of hustle you know, involved as we lead and work our way towards our dreams, that's great. Happiness I started with is still absolutely there, you know, but it's learning to use it as a strength rather than making myself doubt. You know, I looked, used to look like that duck gliding across the pond. It looked calm and serene on top. And I felt like most days I was paddling for my life. And it's really been this combination for me of number one, learning the stories I tell of self doubt are just stories. And if I pause and ask, well, is that story true? Is it the only explanation for what's unfolding? I can often find other important important bits that I've missed that help me to feel and act in ways I want, to treat myself with self-compassion, but also to prioritise time, even if it is just 10 minutes in a day, to do a little more of what I do best has made a massive difference for taking self-doubt and being comfortable with it. Again, I don't think we should get rid of self-doubt. I think it's there for really healthy reasons, but I think it's learning to use self-doubt when it serves us well and to learn to be able to gently but confidently and gracefully navigate past self-doubt when perhaps it's holding us back from showing up to the things we most want to be able to shape and have impact in. Mm -hmm. And Michelle, in there, you alluded to bringing out your leadership style. So if you could tell us, how would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, so a part of what I learned from positive psychology is there's also this whole field about how do you be a more positive leader, um, which sounds nice, right? Who doesn't want to be a more positive leader? But perhaps even better from a business sense, what we're seeing in the research is that leaders who lead in more positive ways um, tend to get better business results. They have more engaged teams. As a result, those teams are more productive. They have less turnover in their teams, and they generally do better in terms of sales and customer satisfaction um, because their teams are working at their best and so for me as a leader I got really curious about okay how do I bring out the best in my brain every day and the brains of the people that are in my team because really that's my most important resource when I'm working with them and being a positive leader isn't what we sometimes think about going okay well I've got to be upbeat all the time I've got to come in with a smile everywhere although we do see some research from people like Daniel Goldman that suggests 20 to 
30% of the business performance in any team is determined by the mood of their team. And the number one impact on a team's mood is you, it's their leaders. But we also (laughs) know from the research that putting on that kind of fake smile, being up no matter what, actually, of course, uh, undermines trust because nobody's like that all the time. And number two, actually starts to become more stressful for the leader over time. So when we talk about being a positive leader, we're talking about understanding how mood impacts performance, but understanding that positive and negative moods are part of that and knowing how they impact people's brains differently. So, you know, when I want my team in a more broadened, innovative, collaborative space, how do I take the time to create a bit of hope or or amusement, a bit of connection between them before we dive into those tasks? And when I want them more focused, just what's right in front of us right now, then a bit of stress or anxiety, a bit of pressure around that isn't a bad thing, provided we don't get stuck there too long. How do I know what their strengths are? One of the things I do with my team is a weekly check-in with each of them. And I always get them in advance to send me an email about what they've done the week before. And I look at that before we head in. And my first question for them always is, of all the things you did last week, what lit you up the most? You know, what did you really enjoy? And it's a really easy way for me as a leader to keep learning more about their strengths. And when they're at their best, what does that look like? It helps me think about the kind of work I ask them to take on in the future. And then I ask them, what have you got on this week? And what are you really looking forward to? Which kind of gives me the other extreme of that. And so having more strengths conversations with my teams really helped as well. And then helping them identify their stories. We all tell stories. So when I'm hearing the stories that hold them back, that undermine their confidence, just gently learning to challenge them and go, okay, that's one point of view, but is that completely true? Is there anything you missed? Um, And perhaps helping them in those moments to open it up and getting them used to as part of that to celebrate their failures as well as their successes. I think we get far too attached in teams and businesses to achieving only the outcome. And sometimes we miss the fact that our richest lessons come from the things that don't always go to plan. And the truth is, if we're trying hard enough, we're all making mistakes some of the time. So am I helping my team get the learning from those mistakes rather than have them, you know, sweep under the rug, nothing to see here, or blame somebody else or something else for why that didn't go to plan, and instead kind of own our mistakes as some of our greatest learning moments and be able to get the richness of that, get up and try again. Nice. And Michelle, what is something that you're really excited about that you're working on right now that you want to share with us? Yeah. So uh, over the last three years, I've been working with different workplaces with female leadership teams about how do you take all of these ideas, all the things we're learning from positive psychology and neuroscience, gender studies, leadership studies, and how do you package it in a really easy way that female leaders, you know, can take and use day in, day out for themselves and for their teams. So earlier this year, I had a book come out called lead like a woman uh, with my uh, beautiful friend and business partner Megan Delacamina who's also a great expert in this space and it was based on the work we've done for the last three years in teams and you know when we started this kind of work it was it was really something we wanted to play with together we both had our own businesses we're like there's something cool we could do together what would we want to do and we were like we want to give to female leaders what we wish we'd had but we would had to figure out the hard way by ourselves and we started in particular with a team of about 300 women in technology at one of Australia's big banks and we were doing this program for about a year with them and at the end of the year they were coming up and telling us these most amazing stories of changes that they had made um, because of the things that we had taught them in the program 
And so we started thinking, goodness, how do we take this and scale it? How do you give it to more women? Um, because the results were so incredible. And so we wrote the book. Uh, we've created an online program, which people can see at leadlikeawoman.net uh, and come in and do from anywhere in the world. And we're now working with amazing trainers all over the globe who are starting to take this, you know, in face-to-face uh, training, coaching circles, all sorts of ways into companies. So it's such a joy getting to see other females benefit from some of the things I wish I'd known, you know, a decade ago that we can help them, you know, learn and use right now. So that's my joy right now. (laughs) Yeah, it is exciting to see people be able to jump the learning curve. Like they don't have to go through the fire like we went through. (laughs) You can just share with them some practical wisdom that they can start implementing right away. That's always (laughs) a good feeling. And Michelle, on the flip side of things, what would you say is the biggest leadership or business challenge that you're currently faced with? Look, I I think a big piece for us is to stay in service as we do that. Again, when you're running a business, you're looking at the money coming in, the money going out, it's really easy to get attached to those outcomes and get your hustle into overtime to a place where it's really not good for you or the poor people on the other end of that as well. So I think it's that continuing to try and not let ego and fear in the driver's seat causing us to drive and strive in ways that aren't good for us or others and to really sit in that place of service and trust that each of these paths has their own process and the journey itself is actually the lesson rather than perhaps the outcome. It's easy to go, yeah, we want to sell this many books and we want to have this bigger impact and we need the TED Talk and we need all these great things to be happening. And yet when we get too attached to the outcomes, I find it takes us out of that space of service. And so, you know, yes, while we absolutely love a good outcome, don't get us wrong, we run a business and it needs to make money at the end of the day there's that coming back and trusting the process and going you know what I show up in each step of this journey give it my best effort be open to the learning give it my best shot then that's really all I can do moment by moment and I need to let the rest of the fear and the struggle kind of go with that and be here and present and open to what's going to unfold so that's a day-by-day challenge I think for most of us Yeah, I agree. And I can definitely see that in any service industry because there's always big names out there, like people who have really large communities or, you know, the the money that they're bringing in is really huge. And a lot of people will look to them and be like, oh, well, let me do what they're doing because that's what makes them successful. And what I find is whenever... I or, you know, my peers get into that mentality of, well, I'll do what they're doing because they're really successful. You do exactly what you said. You lose touch with with your own community and what they need. It's not about what somebody else is doing. I mean, if they have some really great practices, you can think about it, consider it and bring it back to your community to test it out. But really, it's your community that will let you know what do they need? What do what can you provide for them? And how can you deliver it to them in a way that makes it easily consumable for them? Absolutely. And I think it really it is that place of staying in service. I love some of the research from a lady called Professor Carol Dweck at Stanford University. And she looks at how about half of us are not a male female thing, but about half of us generally in the population sit in that fixed 
mindset. We tend to judge ourselves and others, how intelligent, how talented, how successful we are, merely by the outcomes that have been achieved because we think that's the real measure of a person. That's how we know, are you clever or dumb? Are you successful at business or not? And instead what she finds is about half of us sit in what she describes as a growth mindset where it's not so much the outcome but it is that willingness to show up, the learning, how you pick yourself up on the other side of failure and what you do with it. And, you know, the more I find I can sit in that mindset, the easier it is to stay in that place of service, to avoid that fear of missing out, to get inspired when I look at other people who are having great success, as you're touching on in these areas, and go, wow, what could I learn from that? How could I be of service with that in my own community rather than striking that fear of missing out of going, oh, my goodness, I've been doing this far longer than that person. Why are they having that success? How did they land that? You know, I'm just not cut out for this. Um, and so I do think that there's that really important part of just uh, self-compassion again, holding ourselves gently through the journey, but perhaps being more focused on the how we're traveling rather than just the what that we're achieving that ultimately my experience brings me to bigger and bigger successes, but it's kind of counterintuitive when you look at it at the outset. Yeah, absolutely. And Michelle, we're heading into a quick leadership roundup. So if you could, for the following questions in one sentence, tell us what is one practice that you have that helps to make you a better leader? For me, it's looking for the best in other people. We're wired to show up and look for the worst in people, the things we worry about, what we don't like. When we learn to start showing up and looking for the best, the strengths in other people, changes your relationships, changes what people can do for you. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? I'm going to have to say Lead Like a Woman by myself, Rebecca Della Camina. Again, I think it's a great summary of all the latest research, positive psychology, neuroscience, gender studies, leadership studies, with lots of very practical play sheets people can use to really step through those changes. I'm going to be looking for that one because this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> and Michelle, what advice would you give your younger self? Probably be gentler on yourself. You know, don't don't sweat it so much. Don't hustle so hard. It'll all come at the right time in the right way. Just be gentle with you. And share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Uh, on my desk right in front of me right now, there's a picture of me sitting in a tree on the coast at Carmel. It's like this big tree in a, a tribal area where they often have special ceremonies. And I'm sitting there meditating. And as I sat there in the tree, what came to me very clearly was the idea of what if everything you dreamed was entirely possible? And that kind of moment, okay, if everything I dreamed was entirely possible, how would I show up today? And again, instead of perhaps the fear and the hustle, the strive and the drive dominating me, there was this sense of, oh, I could just trust it and be and do the best work I have to offer and accept if it works, if it works. If it's not, it wasn't meant to be. It's something else that's coming or a different shape that this is going to take. And it just, again, took some of that pressure away. So for me, it's that question, what if everything you dreamed was entirely possible. I love that. And lastly, Michelle, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? So head on over to leadlikeawoman.net, uh, all one word, leadlikeawoman.net. Uh, you'll find a heap of some free resources there. And if you're looking for more, that's gender neutral. So if you're a leader and you're leading teams of men and women, but wondering how you use this stuff as well, head over to michellemcquade.com on my website. You'll find heaps of free eBooks and podcasts and tools that you can use to apply this stuff in teams. 
Love that. And for those of you who are on the go, because I know oftentimes you're in the car running around or, you know, being very active, you know, you can find all the links and resources shared in this episode at womentakingthelead.com. If you put Michelle in the search bar, her, the blog post that accompanies this episode should come right up. And Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you, Jenny. And thank you for what you do in the world. Women everywhere need it. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Are you ready to take the lead in your own life but need some support? Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash contact to introduce yourself. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining with me and here's to your success.